It's so great to be with you this evening. And um, I'd just like to congratulate you if you are a student and you have uh, got here this evening. I remember when I was visiting churches when I just got to university and there was, a, there was no Google Maps then, I'm just going to say it. And just finding my way to a church was amazing. I'm quite crackly, aren't I? So I'm just going to get my hair out the way of the mic. Is that better? We'll see if that keeps being annoying. David, shout if you want me to swap mics. But welcome, great to see you. As David said, we are in a series at the moment looking at Micah 6.8. It's going to appear on the screens behind me. Maybe a verse you've heard before, it may not. Let me read it to you. He has shown you, O mortal, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? To act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. And we're on a journey looking at this, thinking about our vision. What does this verse mean for us as a church? What are some of the foundations that we can take from this verse? But what does it mean for us individually? What does it mean for our discipleship? What does it mean for how we live out our lives? And we've been kind of zoning in on different aspects. So we've been focusing on justice, then we looked at mercy, and then humility. And um, we're going to kind of track back around. Gareth kicked us off. My very tall husband kicked us off about three, four weeks ago. And uh, he looked at justice. And we're taking that again. We're re-looking at justice. And Gareth focused particularly on justice as God's character. That God is the definition. God created right and wrong. He's a just God. And we're going to kind of follow on from that. Um, tonight in terms of justice and just think about actually what does that mean for us personally and we're going to be particularly looking at what does that mean in terms of grace how does understanding God's justice help us understand his grace so we're gonna that's kind of where we're headed this evening if you're someone likes to know where you're going that's what we're looking at tonight and um, I don't have David Senna's introduction. I, uh, yeah, I'm married to Gareth, and I also have a young son called Jacob, who is just coming up to two. And I don't think it's very helpful that it's branded the terrible twos. I just think at what other point in someone's life would you go up to them at their birthday and go, ah, oh, you're 25, terrible 25. And I just, it's just such a, an unhelpful labeling of an age, isn't it? And they are, I'm praying, they're not going to be terrible. But at the moment, Jacob is definitely pushing into being, let's call it brave and adventurous. Not terrible, but brave and adventurous. And he's climbing anything. If it's a bookcase, it's a ladder. And he just wants to go up it and climb on work surfaces, everything. And it is hard when you see your toddler swinging from things and grabbing. Yeah, they came around the corner the other day and he just had a knife. And he's like, mummy! I was like, oh, quite a sharp knife. Not just a, not just a butter knife, a, not a carving knife, but a sharp knife. And it's really hard when you see that to not immediately just go, no! It's hard to not overuse the word, no, no, don't climb that. No, don't go there. No, don't put your hands on the cooker. Like, no! And the danger is, because you overuse the word no, it just starts to lose its power. I fear it possibly already has lost its power. And that's the thing, when we hear things again and again, it comes a bit like blah, blah, blah. You know, someone else says it to us, maybe there's phrases and things that your parents try to kind of really ground into you, and you've heard them a thousand times. And maybe they start to lose some of that impact because you feel like, I've heard that. And there's lots of good advice that we hear in life, don't we? We've heard it so many times that does it, does it still impact our actions and does it still impact what we do? 
For example, we know that perceived wisdom is that we get around eight hours sleep a night. Now, there's quite a few students here with a start. I don't know how many people get eight hours of sleep a night, but we know to kind of be energetic, to function well mentally, we need to be sleeping around eight hours a night. We also know that watching loads of TV is not brilliant for us, don't we? Like just sitting sedentary for hours, just watching TV is not genius. And so we're going to swap mics. That's genius because it's really distracting me. I don't know about you. Thank you very much. Let's get that out of the way. Get the Britney thing, that's better. Oh, that was so annoying. Thank you, whoever did that. And so we know that, yeah, watching loads of TV is not genius, don't we? But someone invented box sets, and you know, you can always know what happens in the next episode. Because most TV series, it's always a cliffhanger, isn't it? You're like, doesn't matter. I'll just pop the next DVD in and find out what happens. And several hours later, you're like, I should not watch five episodes of anything in a row. But, you know, and you stumble into bed too late. But we just end up doing it, don't we? We all know that we're supposed to exercise several times a week. That's good for us. That's good for our health. And um, I've always known that, but I recently discovered that apparently, like, it's recommended that everyone, not like if you want to be super fit, we should be doing at least two and a half hours of aerobic activity a week. I thought that was quite a high bar. And also, two sessions of kind of stuff that strengthens our muscles. That's, that's just quite a lot of hours. If we went around and went, are we all doing about three and a half hours of exercise a week? Like, that's the recommended to be healthy. We, we know that, but I wonder how many of us are doing it. I won't tell you how I'm doing on that. We know that what we eat really matters. What we put in our body should fuel us, can really help us live longer. But sometimes, you know, well, food is there to be enjoyed, and it's been a tough day. A little treat with a little bit extra pudding is quite nice, isn't it? None of this is new information. Any of what I've just said, you'd probably nod your head and go, I've, I've heard that loads. I know that. Thank you very much. And um, I was watching a program this week, whilst obviously exercising, because that would be a bad thing to just sit there. And so I was watching this program called, uh, I think it's, what is it? How to Stay Young. And um, I'd seen a bit of the series before, and I find it fascinating. And they've basically got the country's top sort of scientists and experts in how we age. And then they'd taken a bunch of volunteers who by themselves had decided they probably weren't aging particularly well, had a few concerns. And basically, these scientists put these people through a whole bunch of tests, things that test uh, how their heart and lungs are working, how often they exercise, what their diet's like, but also things like their mental alertness or are they stressed at the moment. They do crazy amounts, about 23 tests these poor people go through. And as if that wasn't enough, what they do at the end is they take them over to this kind of amazing graphic visual wall that summarizes all of their results. And it, you know, and this doctor's kind of saying, really need to be doing a little bit more exercise, or wow, your stress is pretty high. That's probably going to have an impact on your health and your age. And when they've done all of that horribly honest information, they have something that's called uh, your, obviously they know their birth age, but they look at your body age. So they're like, well, you or quite a few people on the program are in their 50s. And there was this one guy, and he's standing in front of all these visuals summarizing that it's not brilliant news. He doesn't look the picture of health, but, you know, it's 
And then they just say, well, actually, judging by all these figures and how your heart and lungs are working, we've worked out how your body is functioning at the age of someone else. It's a bit older than you thought it was. And this clock kind of ticks up through the numbers. It's 51, and then it heads towards 60, and then it heads towards 70. And you can see this guy's face falling. And eventually, it hits so awkward. It hits 90. Like, this guy is 51, but he has had a whole bunch of bad habits, and his body is functioning like that of a 90-year-old. Can you imagine discovering that at any point, let alone on TV? And then they have all these other people, and a lot of them are in their 50s, but they have the body age of a 75-year-old. And you watch how these individuals see the consequences of their choices over a lifetime, whether or not they've exercised, what they've eaten, whether they've you know, allowed their body enough sleep. And then they journey with some of these individuals as they kind of respond to that information. And a whole bunch of them go, especially when you've just discovered you've got the body of a 90-year-old and it's got some serious implications for your health. He just transformed his life. They gave him a 12-week program, particularly focusing on diet and exercise. And um, he came back literally a different man, half if not less the size he was. He had bright eyes, he looked alert, he looked well, and he had knocked in 12 weeks, I can't remember exactly, about 15 or 20 years off of his age. Because the shock of what the consequences were gonna be for his an early death, like, I, can't, I can't carry on, now I know this information, I cannot carry on living the way that I did before. And I think we can get casual about lots of things because we're not generally are we faced with the consequences hopefully in quite such a shocking way but imagine if he hadn't have known but i think often we only change things when we're shocked into action when we we, we see it quite how serious it is and i think sometimes we can i know i do behave a bit like we'll live forever and we're invincible and talking about death is it a particularly socially acceptable thing and we just we just avoid it and we live in ignorant bliss we're not going to do that tonight we're not going to do any uh, statistics on the screen but it has made me reflect as i've been preparing and as we've been doing this series particularly the one on justice actually at the start made me think i wonder what aspects of my faith and my relationship with god and my habits and behaviors i've got pretty casual about I've just kind of sliding into and gone, they're not really that serious. And, and no one's regularly, you know, with the little stuff I'm talking about, no one's seriously confronting me with, with that stuff and going, is that, is that like a genius idea? Is that, is that helping you and your relationship with God really? And is, is that helping the people around you? And so I'm not faced with the consequences. So it's just easy sometimes, I even mean to, to cruise on. And listening to that first talk, like I said, on justice, it, it really challenged me of, if I'm honest, I think, dare I say it out loud, I've got a bit casual about sin. I've got a bit casual about some of the stuff I know in my life doesn't please God. And I've just, got, I've just kind of brushed it under the carpet because it's all quite small stuff, isn't it? Like, you know, I'm referring to, let me give you a few examples. I guess, you know, when I'm tired, you know, when we're tired, like, you know, obviously a bit more grumpy. And maybe when I'm tired, if I reflect now, maybe my words aren't as life-giving and as helpful as they should be. Or if when I'm tired, I'm probably a bit more selfish, possibly. 
or my words aren't always kind. I wonder what some of the ones for you are. Sometimes in our, in our harder moments, maybe if we admit, maybe we weren't always as gracious and forgiving to those around us as we would love to be. Maybe sometimes when life is full and we're just caught up in a busy week, we're just a bit selfish if we're honest with our time and our resources. And we don't mean to be, but it's, it's just all come, become part of how we do life. Maybe we've let fear just get a bit too much of a grip on us. And we know it's there, or, or we, we know worry is just getting a bit too much of a hold of us. It's become the norm to view, lens through, view life through a lens of fear, and it's just become how we do life. And it's subtle, and we slip into these things. And we think, well, you know, it's not that serious if I'm just a bit impatient sometimes, or I get a bit cross when maybe someone cuts me up in the road. Like, do you know what's right? They're little things. Chill out. You know, we, we focus a lot, don't we? Talk about how loving and kind, gracious God is. And He is. You know, none of us are perfect, Zoe, so surely just focusing in on these kind of things. It's just not helpful, is it? Like, as, as long as surely we're avoiding the big stuff. Like, you know, we're not doing the big stuff that God, you know, really warns about. So like in Galatians 5, 19 to 21, it says this. When you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are very clear. Sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, Jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and other sins like these. Like, surely, like they're the big ones, aren't they? And we could list a few others of the, the ones that, if we're really avoiding those, surely that's the main thing. But the thing is, when we when we are, if we let's pick unkind, or when we're impatient, or when we, when we do stuff that we know is a long way off what God desires, it hurts people, doesn't it? Like, I know, I have to reflect that a bunch of the, the stuff that's messy and broken in my life often hurts the people that are nearest and dearest to me. Like, I don't know how many of you uh, live with people, whether that's because you're a student, or you're just living with friends, or family, whoever it is, but I know the people that get hurt the most by my brokenness are my husband Gareth, or my son Jacob, or my very close friends. I remember when I was living at university, and I was thinking, oh, I thought it was a nice person until like, I moved in with people. You know, and that's the power of community. It highlights that stuff in us. It highlights some of the stuff that isn't quite what we would want, or we know isn't quite what God wants in it. So that's what's beautiful about living with others sometimes. It rubs some of the corners off us. That's what community does. It's messy, it's uncomfortable. But I know that some of the stuff in my life that I think is small actually is really hurting people that I love. Well, how about the stuff that I don't do? The, let's call them the sins of omission. The prayers that I don't pray. The people that I don't have round. The money that I don't give away and share. Or sometimes I say silent when I should speak up. As um, David said, I worked for Tear Fund for a number of years and I I can't escape the truth that I know that the food that I buy, whether I buy fair trade when I can or not, or caring about who made my clothes, or choosing to stay silent or not about climate change, injustice. We could list a whole bunch of things, and when I say silent, I silently give my approval and go, that's okay. 
And when I actually stop and think about the pain that I, I can inadvertently cause through some of my, my mistakes, it deeply grieves me to think I'm doing that, hurting people that I love and people that I don't know. And the thing is, it grieves God too. It grieves God. It doesn't just grieve me. It deeply grieves God. And um, I've been nervous about talking about this tonight, but because we don't say talk about this a lot, maybe at, at churches and conferences, but God really hates sin. Like he hates sin. And why does he hate it? Why, why, is it, why is it a big issue? Because he loves us and he wants to be in relationship with us. And the, the stuff that we do and some of the brokers in our lives, sin separates us from God. And God doesn't want to be separated from us. It's the very opposite of who God is. When we looked at the start of this series about God's justice, we looked at how he is perfect and holy. There's no sin in him. He sets the bar for what is right and what is wrong. And so he must either turn away from us or he must judge us. The Bible is pretty clear. In Romans 6, 28, it says, The wages of sin is death. Romans also talked to us about being, without God's mercy, we're utterly helpless. All to say that sin is serious and God is serious about sin. And why, why does it matter? Why am I talking about it? Why am I getting really heavy and serious about sin? Because that's not what we do generally, is it? Because I think when we get casual about, let's call it what it is, sin, the good that we don't do, and the things that we know aren't brilliant that we do do, I think we get casual about grace. And we get casual about the price that was paid. When I'm casual about my sin, I am casual about grace. And I, I admit, I'm, I'm feeling deeply challenged at the moment. I've got casual about my sin. Because, you know, it's all that small stuff, isn't it? I'm not doing the big stuff. I don't ever want to get casual about grace. Because when I, you know, getting casual about grace means getting casual about who paid the price for my sin. The wages of sin is death. Who paid that price? John 3.16, one of the most well-known verses in the Bible. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. And this isn't about getting super serious about sin. It's not about wallowing in guilt. It's not about really dwelling and getting reflective on the mistakes that you've made in your past and I have. But we could all go there, couldn't we? And go, oh, the consequences. I've hurt people. We could all get really frustrated about the mistakes that we make on a daily basis. Like we try and we strive, but it isn't. So should we just strive harder? Should we just try and be more perfect? We just have got to stop sinning. We just feel guilty and it becomes this horrible cycle. No, we shouldn't dwell on sin and we shouldn't get overwhelmed by guilt. It's about dwelling on grace. It's about dwelling on grace. 
And I think until we understand the justice of God, until we understand the consequences of sin, I'm not sure we can ever fully get the incredible, amazing news of grace. Because grace is linked to God's justice and his mercy. I think when we truly understand that what we deserved was death and what we have received is forgiveness, what we have received is an open relationship with the living God, an invitation for his spirit to dwell in us, that we get to be restored on a daily basis, that we get to spend eternity with the living God, then we understand grace and we understand freedom and we understand gratitude. Ephesians 2 verses 1 to 10 says this. The heading is made alive in Christ. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air. The spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest of us, we were by nature deserving of wrath. But, thank goodness for but, but because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive in Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace that you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace that you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is a gift from God, not by works so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Talk about good news. Talk about good news. We've been made alive in Christ. We were dead in our transitions, and now we're alive, and all of it's a gift. It's freely available, undeserved, unmerited, wonderful grace. And we are constantly Aren't we in need of his grace? I get so frustrated about some of the habits and behaviors that I don't like in my life, that I know aren't helpful, that I think I'm going to be different. Like, this is the day, this is the week, and I, you know, I spend some time with God, and I'm like, Lord, help me in this, and I, you know, I'm determined, and the, the day unfolds, and I find myself making some of the same mistakes again, and I get really, I need his grace it's not by works, it's not by striving that I get better or we get better, is it? It's his grace at work in our lives. We're not ever, ever going to be perfect how hard we try. And that's why this is such wonderful news. I think when we truly understand God's grace, it changes everything. It changes everything. And um, I wonder if you are here tonight and this is all completely new to you and you, I wonder if you've heard about that grace that David talked about uh, early on in the worship. And I wonder if you sense goodness, I didn't, I didn't know about this. 
And if you've been a Christian for many years, maybe, and you're sitting here, do you still feel that sense of excitement and joy and overwhelm when you think of grace? Lord, I'm so undeserving, and yet you're so kind. You're so kind to me. I don't know about you, when when we speak to people, we hear stories, don't we, of people who've um, faced tragic circumstances or maybe have had, through illness, scary and close brushes with death, encounters that have frightened them. And they often talk about how life was never the same again, like it changed everything. They find themselves being more grateful for the little things. They find themselves living in the moment more. But the particular thing they talk about is it just shifts the way that they look at life. They tend to say, since, since that illness or since that, you know, that tragedy or since that scary moment in my life, I, I just see everything differently. And um, my dad had a heart attack about six years ago. And I'll never forget, um, I missed the call from my mum and I picked up uh, my mobiles early in the morning. I just jumped in the shower and I saw I'd missed a call from my mum and I just had a voicemail. And all I could hear was ambulance sirens blaring in the background and my mum's emotional voice saying, Dad's had a heart attack. I'm on the way to hospital. Can you get there? And just kind of cut out. And I'll never forget that drive to the hospital, not knowing, was I going to be too late? You know, what, what was going to go on? And, and thankfully, due to an incredible NHS, um, my dad was fine and, um, and was just going to make a full recovery. But they did say to him, you, you need to make some changes to your lifestyle. You need to, you need to be exercising more and you need to be watching some of the stuff that you eat. And my dad took that really seriously, and he made some amazing changes, and we were really encouraged and trying to cheer him on. But in, in, in latter years that have passed, he, he'd admit this, we talk about it a lot, that he's slipped back into some of those old habits, and his, his weight has increased again. And I sometimes, I find that really painful, because I love my dad. And I get, and sometimes, if I'm honest, that pain comes out of me getting cross of like, the consequences of that, the consequences of doing this again is so serious. Why would, you, why would you do that, Dad? Why would you risk when the stakes are so high? Like you were facing death and now you have life. Like grab it and, and do all that you can to make that life be full and as long as possible. And yet I have to admit that myself, it's no different to what I'm doing spiritually. I was spiritually facing death And now I have abundant life. And I get casual about how amazing that is. I get casual about it. When we're overwhelmed by grace, we live differently. We can't help but live differently because there's been such a shift in our identity, in our future. So what are some of the characteristics of, of what that a life look, lived differently might look like when we really get grab hold of this grace? I think the first thing, thing is that we can't keep quiet. There's that thing of when you've got incredible news, like, you know, when you maybe if you've had a serious illness and you go to the doctor for those results or that final checkup and it's good news, like you just want to shout from the rooftop, you want to swing back in that waiting room, stand on your chair and text and ring everyone you know. Do you want to stay silent when you've got good news? 
Not long ago, uh, Gareth and I watched a film called That Sugar Film. And um, it's all about the, sh the impact that sugar has on us. Now, I, we all know that sugar isn't brilliant for us, right? I mean, I'm not a massive cake eater, but I know that eating sugar isn't brilliant. And I was like, well, we're not that bad, are we, in our house? We're eating, like, loads of sugar. And um, I was quite shocked to discover how bad sugar is for our internal organs. I was, quite, I was particularly shocked, if I'm honest, about how much sugar is in pretty much everything in the supermarket and things that I thought were healthy foods. So I wasn't previously a big fruit fan, I'm not going to lie. So I thought that having some fruit juice in the morning was pretty good going. And then this film told me that there were 10 teaspoons of sugar in the average glass of uh, fruit juice. I thought that was quite shocking. And my low-fat yogurt, well, there's quite a bit of sugar in anything, apparently, that has low fat written on it. That's what makes it taste nicer. And then I put that on my, I thought, healthy granola. Well, that's full of sugar. I was just, I was so shocked. I was like, why does no one tell me this? Why, does, why do we not know how much sugar is in all of these things? I became a little bit evangelistic about my newfound knowledge. I was a little bit annoying. People would come around our house. I had a good friend who would come down regularly for a curry. And she was like, say, where's the mango chutney? you always have mango chutney with curry. And, she, she, and I was like, we don't have mango chutney anymore. Do you realize how much sugar is a mango chutney? I just, I just went off for one. I was like, look, look at the ingredients list. Look how many teaspoons. Why would you do that? And then I wasn't, I wasn't satisfied then. I got kind of going. I was like, she needs to know. And so I just listed all these other foods that I thought she or I might consume and how much sugar they all had in them. Gareth literally has told me to stop. And he was like, sorry, stop it. No one come around to our house. Stop being weird about the sugar thing. And I, I was quite challenged. I was like, I am more evangelistic about sugar at the moment than anything else in my life. If I talked to as many people about my faith as I did at sugar at that point, well, it just would have been interesting. <laughs> and that's the thing when, we're, when something really impacts us, we just want to tell people. I really had to stop myself going up to people in the supermarkets when they were picking up sugary things. Like, just, do you know? I know it's odd. But when we have good news, when we feel like something is, everyone should know this, we can't keep quiet. We can't keep it to ourselves. Secondly, we should be the most grateful people on the earth. We should be over, we're overwhelmed by grace. We should be overwhelmed by gratitude. And if we can have Ephesians uh, 2, that verse I looked at earlier, that passage, back up. We should be so grateful for God's love. We should be so grateful that we have been made alive in Christ. We should be so grateful for his mercy. We should be grateful that it's by faith and it's not by works. And it's not about what we do. It's about what he has done. We should be grateful for Jesus' sacrifice on the cross. Day in, day out, moment by moment, thank you, Lord, for your kindness to me. So we can't keep quiet. We're overwhelmed by gratitude. But finally, like I said about my dad and some of those people who were on that program about staying younger and living a healthier life, you live different. When you get this stuff, we should live differently. You know, my, our son Jacob, I don't want him to grow up thinking that being a Christian is about sin avoidance. Like as long as, you know, as long as he doesn't get drunk and as long as he doesn't do X, Y, Z, as long as he doesn't do those, the big ones that we probably, you know, I grew up thinking, don't do those, Zoe, the big five. You know, you could list the ones that maybe you were told. 
I don't want him to think that that's faith. I want him to think that being a Christian is about a life surrendered all in, giving everything. Lord, you have access to every area of my life. I live differently. I think differently. My prayers are different. I invest my time different. We should look different to the people around us. We should look really different. I don't want him to think it's just about going to church and being good. It's about a life abandoned. How can we respond to the love and grace of Christ other than saying, Lord, I give you everything. Lord, have it all. Lord, you you gave everything. You gave your son. And and in response, I don't want to hold anything from you. Jesus, I'm in. And so my question to you tonight is, have you been or are you still overwhelmed by grace? Does that good news, has it sunk deeply in that when you wake up tomorrow, there's that deep gratitude? Thank you, Lord. Thank you that you're with me. And all of, all of the mess and the complications, you're with me. That you are always with me. You're working me. You're restoring me. You're in this with me. And that I can know you. Lord, thank you for your grace. I'm going to close in prayer. Father, thank you that you are both justice and mercy together. Thank you that you love us more than we could ever know. Thank you that you have done what we couldn't do. Lord, thank you that we can come as we are, that when we're not enough, you are. Lord, we're never enough. We never have been and we're never going to be, but thank you that you are enough. And Lord, we just say, would you have your way in us? Would you have your way tonight? Lord, we're just longing to hear from you and meet with you, Lord. Thank you that you have drawn near and we just want to draw near to you. In Jesus' name, amen. I just want to invite you to stand. If you haven't been here before, if you're visiting us, we just take some time at the end now. This certainly isn't the end, so please don't rush off. We just want to take some time just to be still and to respond and just to hear what the Lord might be saying to you individually. I just want to encourage you, if you want to close your hands, if it's helpful to lift your, your hands out, whatever, close your eyes, whatever's useful to you, and just have a conversation with the Lord. Just have a conversation with the Lord. This, we're going to make some space. And we're just going to wait, and we're just going to see what the Lord wants to say And we're going to see what he wants to do. So we just invite you. Holy Spirit, would you come? Holy Spirit, come.